he's getting senile, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, mercy. Take your Bible, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You enjoy that music tonight? That was a blessing for sure. Now, you don't have a table set. Have some with you? That's They're available. Okay, they've got some available. CDs, if you didn't get this morning, there you go. And remember, generous donation. All right. First Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is, of course, a special night, at least for uh, those three men that are being uh, set apart and ordained by this church tonight. I also believe it's a special night for this church. That's a wonderful thing, to uh, be able to see God call men out of this congregation. Your pastor mentioned this morning a good number who are serving the Lord in different places all around uh, the country, maybe the world perhaps as well. And that's really an exciting thing when you think about that. That is fruit for a local church. And I want us to kind of ponder a little bit of that this evening. Let's pray. Father, I pray, dear, dear God, that you would meet with us tonight. We thank you for the music that has certainly warmed our hearts and inspired us and encouraged us, not just this evening, but, Lord, for the last uh, two days. And, God, I pray now that you would just, in, in a wonderful way, just use your word to make a difference in our hearts and lives. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. November 10th, 1970. 50 years and five days ago, uh, my life changed forever. And no, it wasn't the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. That happened eight years prior. But on that day, it was a Tuesday evening in a meeting like this, and a passionate preacher, some of you might know the name, Dolphus Price, old Southern preacher, came to the church of which I was a member as a high school kid, and preached a powerful message on that Tuesday evening. And it was a message that helped me understand a great truth. And that truth was this. The greatest joy in life is the thrill of being used by God for a purpose that is greater than yourself. Now ponder that. And by the way, nothing else compares with that. Absolutely nothing else. The realization that you were created for an eternal purpose. Well, that gives significance to life, for sure. For a cause that is bigger than you, bigger than me. That there is more to life than eating and sleeping and going to work, and cutting the grass and doing the laundry kind of all the routine things that we have to do to make life happen. There's something dig bigger than that and deeper than that. In fact, that cause or that purpose, to some degree, is what brings us together tonight. As we think about these gentlemen that are going to uh, come tonight and, and be ordained to the gospel ministry. But you ask, what is that cause? And that cause is serving Jesus Christ. That's the cause, serving Jesus Christ. And I would say again that nothing compares to that at all. 
You know, the Bible informs us so often the importance of serving. For example, way back in Joshua, chapter 24 and verse 14, we're told to serve him in sincerity and in truth. Then I think of 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9, we're to serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Of course, Psalm 100 and verse 2, we're to serve the Lord with gladness. Well, that's one we need to focus on, gladness. Not duty, but delight. Serve him with gladness. Jesus said, we're to worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Luke said in Luke 1 and verse 74, serve uh, him without fear. Romans 7 and verse 6, that we should serve in newness of spirit. Paul said, by love, serve one another in Galatians 5 and verse 13. First, Timothy, first Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, we're to serve the living and true God. And then in Hebrews, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That purpose, that cause, that ambition, that desire is greater than you and me to serve God. I don't know about you, but I marvel that God would allow us to serve him. Sometimes in life I've heard preachers say, well, I fought the call to ministry. That is so foreign to my mind, I cannot comprehend it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> fought the call to ministry? I am so overwhelmed that God would ever ask me to have a part in his plan is amazing to me. And I say that sincerely. The very reason we have been created and redeemed is to serve the Lord. That's it. Christ is our life. I want you to go to the book of First, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to share with you today quickly how to be an awesome servant. How to be an awesome servant. Now, by, by the way, I'm not just talking to these three gentlemen that are going to be ordained tonight. I'm talking to you. If you name the name of Christ, you're part of this church family. I'm talking to you because God wants us to be not just a servant. I believe he wants us to be an awesome servant. How to be an awesome servant. It's simple. Simple message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Number one, look with me at verse number one. Paul writes, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, I want you to notice those two words, this ministry. Here's the first thing. You want to be an awesome servant? Enjoy serving. Just enjoy it. I mean, I marvel at people who, who take a position of ministry and service in the church, and then they fuss about having to do it. I mean, it's incomprehensible to me. Enjoy serving. Amen? If you're a deacon, enjoy being a deacon. If you're a teacher, enjoy being a teacher. If you're a preacher, enjoy being a preacher. If you're an usher, enjoy being an usher. Enjoy serving. Now, that little phrase, this ministry, hearken us back to chapter 3. And I'm not even going to go through chapter 3. That's another sermon for another day. But in chapter 3, Paul is talking about his ministry. He's discussing his ministry. And by the way, what a fantastic ministry he had. Amen? When you think about that, I, I don't know about you, but I, I personally believe that the Apostle Paul is the most used person in ministry the world's ever known. When, when you think about him writing half of the New Testament, 
and planting those churches and winning souls and discipling converts and, 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 and teaching and training leaders. I mean, just an incredible ministry. And he's hearkening back to that. And then, of course, Jesus Christ himself is all about ministry. When you, when you understand the life of Christ, Luke 19 and verse 10, we have Jesus Christ's personal mission statement. You know, we hear about churches with a mission statement and businesses with a mission statement. You know, as, as Christians, we can have a mission statement. Jesus did. Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Sixteen words, that was his mission statement. Why did he leave heaven? Why did he come to this sin-sick world? Why did he give his life? Why did he shed his blood? For that purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. But what is ministry? When you boil it down, what is ministry? I think it's really servanthood. It's being a servant. Hold your place here in 2 Corinthians. Turn quickly to Matthew 20. Matthew chapter 20. And folks, let me say to you tonight that a church cannot accomplish its mission without servants. It cannot conduct a Sunday school and a worship service. It cannot visit people that need visiting. It cannot counsel people that have heartache. It cannot accomplish its mission without servants. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow, how we need to understand that. Ministry is being used of God as a servant to help other people know him, obey him, and serve him. And by the way, that's not a penalty, that's a privilege. It's not like, you know, taking bad tasting medicine. It's like, boy, this is, this is a, an incredible partnership that God would allow us to be part of this thing that he would entrust to us certain abilities and talents and gifts and opportunities and time that we can be engaged in serving him somehow, some way. Ministry. Hey, listen, ministry's singing in the choir. Ministry's ushering. Ministry's playing these instruments, singing, preaching, teaching in a Christian school, teaching in a Sunday school class, working in a WANA program, knocking on doors, discipling new converts. I mean, ministry just goes on. It's volunteering in so many ways. You ever take a turn in the nursery? That's ministry. <laughs> Whew. My daughter had a 9-year-old and a 10-year-old and then gave birth to two identical twin girls. I've talked to you about them before. I'm telling you, when they come over to our house and we have to babysit, that's ministry. <laughs> ministry. They wear me out. I, I, I've never had any exposure to twins to speak of until these two little blessings came into my life. Now, I'm telling you one thing. If a twin can move this chair, if one, tw if one, if one of them can move this chair three feet, two of them can push it through that wall. <laughs> I mean, they got the ability to do that. Uh, I mean, uh, it's seek and destroy when they come. I mean, that's what it is. I, I, I promise you. But working with children, if you work with children, that's ministry. Any way, shape, or form, that's ministry. See, we get the idea that ministry is just what we're going to see happen in the lives of these three men, ordained to preach. That's, that's public. I get that. But you know, ministry is just jumping in where you need to jump in. It's just doing what has to be done. It's just, you know, we planted churches. You don't have a staff. You don't even have a congregation. You do what has to be done, and you do it happily as unto the Lord. That's what ministry is all about. 
You know, the psalmist said that we're to serve the Lord. I gave the verse earlier, Psalm 100, we're to serve the Lord with gladness. Gladness. You know, we all face bad days, right? Trying times, stress, and trials. This has been a tough year, without question. But we have to learn to leave all that stuff out of sight when we're serving. We really do. Let me help you. People don't come to church to be discouraged. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't come to church to meet people who are, who are just, uh, you know, oh me. Look what's happened in my life. Let me help you. It's happened in everybody's life. We need to put a song in our heart and a smile on our face. We need to enjoy serving. Far too many Christians attend church with a sour spirit and a bad attitude. Bible under one arm, a tombstone under the other. <laughs> Get saved and be as miserable as I am. It's like spiritual constipation. It's bad. <laughs> Let me make a public announcement. It is okay to smile and be joyful in the church house. You know, I mentioned to you many times before about our testimony. My wife and I were bus kids and both came out of dysfunctional families and didn't have a lot of happiness back at home. My wife in particular, she grew up with a mother that was an alcoholic and it was rough. She'd come home from school. If the drapes were closed, we were in trouble. If the drapes were open, mom was okay. But if they were closed, she was walking into a, a, a difficult time. And more often than not, they were closed. So for her, the church house was the haven of rest. That's where she went. That's where she went to meet people who were happy in Jesus, who smiled, who ministered, who loved, who cared. And I am so grateful for those people who invested in us as kids. Now, I can promise you there's not one Sunday school teacher, one children's church worker, one Awana worker that would ever believe I would be standing here doing what I'm doing tonight because my testimony was not to do that. But God got a hold of my heart. And he can get a hold of anybody's heart. But we've got to be willing to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want to be an awesome servant, enjoy it. Enjoy ministry. You don't have to do it, you get to do it. When my kids were young, sometimes they would pull on my pant leg and say, Dad, do we have to go to church? Do we have to go to church? I'd say, no. A little smile would come across their face. I said, you get to. You don't have to go, you get to go. It's a blessing to go. It's a privilege to go. It's an honor to go. Enjoy serving. But go back to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. The second thing, if you want to be an awesome servant, extend mercy. Extend mercy. Not only enjoy serving, but extend mercy. Verse 1 again. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we faint not. The great motive for engaging in ministry is God's mercy. The reality is this, because we are the recipients of God's mercy. We are to extend that mercy to someone else. God showed mercy in my life as an eight-year-old child when I got saved. And he's continued to show mercy in my life through these years. And my mission now is to try to extend that mercy into the hearts and to the lives of other people that I come in contact with because my God is no respecter of persons. What he did for me and what he did for you, he'll do for others. We just have to be the vehicle. We just have to somehow help other people experience that mercy that God wants them to experience. Make no mistake about it, God is a God of mercy. 
It was his mercy that rescued Israel from that Egyptian bondage. It was his mercy that spared Nineveh when he sent Jonah to preach and revive that, those people. By the way, it was God's mercy that saved your soul and my soul and can save any soul that will turn to him by faith. I further suggest it is the mercy of God that allows all of us to serve him. And you know, I realize we're not worthy. I get that. I understand we're unprofitable servants. But do you realize this? God has never used a perfect person. And I said, what about Jesus? Well, he was God and is God. So you set Jesus aside, but you go through the Bible, God just hasn't used a perfect person. Every person God has used has had some deficiency, something unusual about them, some flaw in their life, something that we would suggest they could not be used because of whatever is in their life. Always. And yet, God used them. I think about Noah. I mean, he got drunk. What about Abraham? He was quite old. What about Jacob? He was a chronic liar. I think about Leah. She was unattractive. Joseph, he was abused. What about Gideon? He was poor. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was fearful. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. David committed adultery. Peter was impulsive and certainly had an anger management problem. Martha was a worrywart. Thomas doubted. Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. John the Baptist was eccentric. Paul persecuted Christians. And then Moses and David committed murder. But God used all of them. All of them. So don't sit here tonight and say, God can't use me. God can use you. Now, he wants to work in your life to get you a point where you are usable. But he can use you. Hold your place here. Flip back to 1 Corinthians. You want to know his qualifications? The basic, fundamental qualifications to be used of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26. Paul said, For you see your calling, brethren, how that meant not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would God choose the base and the, you know, the, the list that we just... Why, why would God do that? Well, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, whatever God accomplishes through our lives, and I speak to these three men tonight that are going to be ordained, whatever God does through your ministry, do you understand it is not you? It is God working through you. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, a Christian school teacher, an Awana worker, a choir member, a piano player, I don't care what you are, whatever God allows you to do for him, it's because he's blessing you and he's enabling you to do that for his glory. And we need to give him the glory. So go back, if you would, to Corinthians. I'm saying simply this. So many Christians say, boy, preacher, I'd like to get involved, but, you know, this happened in my life 20 years ago. This happened in my life six months ago. This happened. 
Do you understand God is a God of forgiveness and restoration? And God can work beyond those failures. And God is a, a, a God that can extend that mercy into your life and help you to become all that he wants you to become so that he can serve you, or excuse me, that he can use you to serve him for his honor and for his glory. And let me remind you that if it were not for God's mercy, we would all faint. Look at verse 1. He says, we have received mercy, we faint not. You say, what does that mean? It doesn't mean falling over physically. It means giving up. It means just getting so discouraged we pack it in and run. No. Extend mercy. The more mercy we have, the more sensitive we are to help other people. Let me give you the third thought. Enjoy serving, extend mercy. But number three, if you're going to be an awesome servant, extend, or excuse me, exalt scripture. Exalt scripture. Verse two, he says, but ye have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but my manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Never forget, it is the truth and power of God's word that will change lives. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think of Psalm 19 and verse 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statue of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's all about God's word. Someone said to me, I like your preaching because you preach the Bible. And I think to myself, what else is there to preach? I preach the Bible for two reasons. Number one, I'm too dumb to preach anything else. And number two, I'm too smart to preach anything else. I know where the power runs. It's in this book. Listen to me. It's not your talent. It's not your charisma. It's not your personality. It's not your giftedness. It's not your abilities. It's not your education. It's not your talent. It's the Word of God. That's what we have to lift up. That's what we have to present to people. The power of God's Word makes the difference in the hearts and lives of people. Those biblical characters that we talked about a few moments ago, and they all had issues in their life, some great sins and flaws or whatever, they became usable to God because God changed their life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He didn't, he didn't use them the way they were. God had to mold them and make them and change them into what he wanted them to become. The Bible says we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. And how, how does that happen? It happens through the word of God. The more of God's word we get into us, the more of God's word we can give out to others. So enjoy serving, extend mercy, exalt scripture. But number four, embrace humility. Embrace humility. Verse five, Paul said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. I remind all of us, it's not about us. It's about Christ. That's why we do what we do. And I understand that goes against our culture. Because our culture is a me-first culture. What, what, what's in it for me? How can I benefit? How can I win? How can I gain? How can I get notoriety? That's, that's what culture is saying. Scripture says something the opposite. The value system of, of Scripture is all about humility. Paul stated that as we minister, we do so as servants. Look at verse 5, that words, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Not celebrities, but servants. It's a Greek word, doulos, and that word means slave. Literally, we're slaves for Jesus Christ. And again, that goes against culture. That's not something that you know, we, we readily welcome or understand in today's world. 
In fact, Paul uses this word some 30 times in his epistles to drive home the point that, 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 we're, that we're servants, we're slaves for Christ. Let me tell you, here, here's how you know your attitude is right as a servant. You want to test? It's real simple. When you're not angered or become upset when you're treated like one. When you're treated like a servant and you don't get all huffy and puffy about that, then you know you've got a servant's heart. When our kids were young, I promise you, if there's anything, anything, if you call them tonight and ask them this question, if there's anything we drilled into them, it was this, sweet spirit, servant's heart. Sweet spirit, servant's heart. I don't care what comes your way, sweet spirit, servant's heart. God has called us to be servants. And when we're a servant, we're not going to be offended when someone treats us like a servant. We're just going to say, okay, this is, this is what God wants from me at this moment in time to do whatever it is that we need to do. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's putting others first. That's the concept with humility. And I would suggest it's a rare attribute in today's world. But humility is needed. In reality, if you look at verse 7, we can, we can be humble because in verse 7 it says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So you say, what is that? Well, according to verse 7, we're simply earthen vessels or clay pots. In fact, I'm looking at a bunch of cracked pots <laughs> for Jesus. That's what we are. We're just, we're just pots that God can pour himself into and his power into and his word into to make something happen. But Paul reminds us it's not our power. It's God's power in us. You want to be an awesome servant? Enjoy serving. You want to be an awesome servant? Extend mercy. You want to be an awesome servant? Exalt scripture. Embrace humility. But here's a tough one. Verse 8 and 9. Endure trials. Endure trials. Now, these guys that are being ordained tonight, let me just, let me just warn you. It's going to come. I mean, there are heartaches. I, you know, I, I wish everybody just applauded you for your service and thanked you for sacrificing and giving. And Oh, boy. No, no, no. Um, I've wept with many a preacher when they've been hurt and abused and wounded. Young guys in particular. Breaks my heart. Sometimes Christians can be really, really mean to young men in ministry that are just starting out, expecting that they would act like somebody who's been at it for 30 years. Oh, my gracious, we need to have some grace and some patience towards these young guys, for sure. Listen, look at verse 8 and 9. Paul said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We all know life can be tough. But I want to say this, life as a servant can be tougher. When you sign up to serve Jesus in your church or out of this church to go wherever, it can be tough. It can be very tough. Job said it this way, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now that's not an encouraging verse, but it's in the Bible. Job 14.1. I think of Psalm 34.19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. If we were writing scripture, we probably would say many are the afflictions of the unsaved. But he didn't say that. He said many are the afflictions of the righteous. James 1, 2, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not if you fall, but when you fall. 
going to happen. The reality is we have to learn to endure trials. I'm utterly amazed at how many people, Lord's people, quit serving or want to quit because there's some element of opposition. Opposition is part of it. I promise you. People who say, well, I got my feelings hurt. Or no one thanked me. The pastor didn't even talk to me. He walked right by me. So-and-so got a bigger room than I got. On and on and on, all of this stuff. I've got three words. Get over it. Here's the three better words. Die to self. Let's just be servants. Those who serve Jesus Christ according to Paul in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 need to be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. We don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. Hey, by the way, I don't, I don't like it when people don't like me. I'm going to sleep at night if you come up to me and say, I don't like you. I'm going to sleep tonight. It's not going to bother me that much. But I mean, nobody wants to get up in the, in the morning and have people not like them or be upset about whatever. But it comes with the territory. You cannot give up the first time you're criticized, hurt, disappointed, rejected, wounded, or knocked down. The joy of the Lord's your strength. See, that's, the, that's what gets you up and keeps you moving. That's, that presses you on from, from, from first base to second base and around the horn. It's not about pleasing one another. It's about pleasing him. He is the one that called us. I'm reminded of the conversation that the football coach had with his new scout that he hired. And a scout, as you well know, is the guy that goes out looking for talent. And so this coach was telling him what to look for. And he said, now listen, he said, there are three kinds of players. He says, there's the player that when he gets knocked down, he stays down. And the scout thought about that, knew, knew he had two other options. So he said, well, we don't want him. And the coach said, you're right, we don't. He said, the second guy gets knocked down, he gets up. But when he gets knocked down the second time, he stays down. That scout knew he had one more choice. He said, we don't want him. The coach said, you're right. He said, now the third guy is the guy that gets knocked down. He gets up, knocked down, gets up, knocked down, gets up, knocked down, gets up. And the scout, you know, excited. He says, that's the one we want. The coach said, no, I want the guy doing all the knocking. <laughs> and I, I think that as Christians, we should start doing some of the knocking. I mean, the reality is this. God called us to resist the devil and all that he represents and all that he stands for. Do you understand there's two value systems in the world? The value system in this book and the value system out there. And God has called us to embrace this and support this and preach this and teach this and believe this and have faith in this and resist all the rest. Now, we can do that kindly. We can do that graciously. But we need to do that for sure. The Bible says be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's what the Word of God does. It's about time God's people do some of the knocking. So an awesome servant enjoys serving, extends mercy, exalts Scripture, braces humility, endures trials, and lastly, I love this one, an awesome servant envisions heaven. Envisions heaven, verse 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
hey, you want to be an awesome servant? Keep your eye on the prize. <laughs> Realize, you know what? There's a better day coming. There's a better place coming. No question about it. I have a sermon I preach, heaven and hell on earth. Now you think, well, that sounds like heresy. Well, hear me out. Do you realize for the unsaved person, those who don't know Jesus, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. But for the child of God, this is the only hell we'll ever know. This is as bad as it gets. That trip to the dentist, that flat tire, man, that's as bad as it gets. That's it. This world's not my home. I'm passing through. If I could sing like him, I would sing it. But I can't, for which you ought to be thankful. We're passing through this thing. There's something out there better. Do you realize there's three motivations in life? Do you, do you realize that? Three motivations. The question is, what is, it gonna, what, what is it gonna take to motivate you and me to serve the Lord, to be an awesome servant? The first motivation is this, it's internal. So the question is, will it take an internal motivation to motivate you? You say, what is that? Well, that's personal happiness. That's things like recognition or applause. The problem with internal motivations, they don't last. They come and they go. Well, maybe it's external motivation. What's external motivation? That's money. Maybe that's status, title, possessions. The problem with that is they never satisfy. So we come to the third one. Not internal, not external, but eternal. Eternal motivation. That's having a vibrant relationship with God Almighty through his son Jesus. That's, that's the motivation. It's a relationship that will motivate and compel and constrain us to serve him. To seek and follow his purpose for our life. To invest our time and our talent and our treasure in something bigger than we are for the glory of God and for the growth of his church the local church. In spite of challenges, in spite of cost, in spite of disappointment and heartache and all the rest, you see, what God wants us to do is to live with eternity in view. To live with eternity in view. Recently, I've been praying this prayer, Lord, help me to see today as I will see when I enter heaven one day. In other words, the eyesight that I'll have then, give it to me now. What's going to be important to me then, I want it now. So, Lord, please give that to me. I want to live with eternity in view. And I promise you, if we had that spirit, all of us, that attitude, there's no, there's no stopping Ocean County Baptist Church being all that God wants it to be. And there's no stopping these three men that are going to kneel and we're going to lay hands on when they enter ministry. So two are already in. But as they continue in ministry, no stopping. No stopping you or me from doing what God wants us to do. We just long for the day when the Lord would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not good and talented servant, not good and wealthy servant, good and faithful servant for his honor and for his glory.
hey, what about being an awesome servant? You know, in a church this size, with as much as you all are attempting to accomplish, there's probably some openings. There's probably a few places, Pastor, where I could use a few more people to help in this area or that area. I, I challenge you, get on board. Get on board, sign up, be part of it, and do it for the Lord's glory and for the good of his cause. Would you pray with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I, I wonder tonight, if you say, preacher, God has really touched my heart tonight. There was a day I used to be involved. I used to serve. There was a time in which I was passionate about the things of the Lord. I just couldn't wait to get to that Sunday school class and teach. I couldn't wait to go out on visitation. I couldn't wait to help in the youth department. I couldn't wait to do these things. But I've kind of lost sight of that. Preacher, I want to be an awesome servant. Would you pray for me tonight? Just lift that hand up all through this building. Hold it up. Come on, hold it up. Are you serious? I sure hope so. A revived church is a serving church, for sure. Let's pray. Father God, I pray tonight that you'd work in hearts. I pray to God, not just in the three men that will come and kneel on this platform and be prayed over. We pray for them, for sure. But Lord, I pray for every member of this church. I pray for every born-again believer that we would jump in, we would sign up, that we'd be committed, that we'd be faithful, we'd be dedicated, not just to serve, but to be an awesome servant, to enjoy ministry. Oh, Lord, help us. Hands have been lifted. God, work in their hearts. Maybe even tonight, they'd come to an altar and spend some time in prayer and talk to you, pour their soul out before you. Lord, you can use us if we're willing to be conformed to your image. If, if we're willing to follow your word, you can use us, God, in some way for your glory, for your good. And we pray for that in Jesus' name.